I talked to Madison about that too because she said the psychologist said, "Well, DNA is so. If your your parents were like this, and and then you, you'll probably be like that too." I said, "No, see that that you read it, the psychologist can say that because she got her equation wrong because <laughs> she took God out of the equation." God said, "I visit the sins of the fathers to the fifth and sixth generation. I think if that's right, of those who don't love me, but to those who love me, I visit my blessing to the thousandth generation." <laughs> Which one do you want? You know what I'm saying? So I said, yeah. baby girl, the moment you said, Jesus, I believe, that was broken. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be that because God said, that ends right here. The fifth and sixth generation ends right here. And the thousandth generation begins. There's the, uh, they thought DNA was permanent when they discovered it. But there's the epigenetic part where your body is using these proteins to read that DNA in a specific way and even change it on the fly as they're going. And you're basically interpreting your DNA differently. And that's how this adaptation can happen so quickly is because there's actual change happening, not in the written DNA, but in the interpretation of the DNA that can be passed on. And God can act in a way because you're changing your your mindset because you're making these these huge changes to who you believe that you are that has a very important aspect in how your body is acting if you're depressed you're sending these signals to your body start storing a bunch of fat start doing that start doing that and you're wait a minute whole, wait a minute i'm not depressed <laughs> your whole countenance your whole outcome is this is a depressed sad sack person I mean that's what you're turning yourself into and your your parents might have been hard working people who, who built this family this house for it and everything and worked hard for it and you have the capacity to turn yourself into something else they can accept that but they try to put on other people okay you're going to be limited now because this was your DNA this was your family heritage this is your destiny but God already put in the capacity for you to, to enact these changes. And we don't understand it fully yet. But he says, I have, you know, he can call you by a new name. Mm-hmm. He can rewrite your DNA if he has to. That's our part, our belief. Yeah. But from the scientist's point of view, we, what do we celebrate? We, in, in our American culture especially, we celebrate stories of these people who came from this situation and from this past and made something different of themselves. And they didn't completely rewrite themselves, and you could definitely see the ways in which that man was still like his father. But that's what we celebrate, is these stories of these people overcoming and becoming something so much different than what they had come out of. And you can't have a culture that celebrates that kind of story and also say, okay, this is where you came from and this is what you have to be because your DNA was written and that's your destiny. See, once again, they take God out of the equation. Because they miss, you see, they don't know that. The moment I said, I'm sorry, I was wrong, you are God. And I felt that explosion in my chest. That Jesus began to change me from the inside out. Because I just became a new creation. I just became a new creation in Christ. Something that had not been created before. So I don't know, maybe he did alter my DNA the moment he did that. You know, I'm, I don't know. You know what I'm saying? But if the man on the inside got changed, so that the man on the outside, when the heart got changed, the brain started thinking different, and the body began to behave different. You see what I'm saying? So I think, yeah, all right, maybe God does alter your DNA, but he does because you just became a new creation in Christ. You know, you became, uh, I don't know if I got this right out of the Bible, but you just became Benai Elohim. 
to those who believed in Christ, he gave them the power and the ability to become the sons of God, but not Elohim. Up to that time, you're just bar Adam using Hebrew words, you know, you're a son of Adam. Well, all of a sudden now that you become Benai Elohim, if you look at that in the Old Testament, that means a direct creation of God. But it's translated way back in the story of Job, sons of God. Mm -hmm. But it means a direct creation of God. So the moment I get that new heart, I get that change on the inside, I become a new creation. All of that fifth and sixth generation stuff has got to stop because I'm something new. Yeah. by what Jesus Christ did in me. Maybe he changed my DNA. You know, I don't know. Another way to look at it is you you were interpreting, your body was interpreting that DNA in a certain way and you were writing a certain story for yourself and he came in and corrected it. And he started, it's, it's the same DNA, but he is inter having your body interpreted in the correct way and the, writing the, the story that he put in your life. Yeah, there's got to be some way you can tie that to a computer. You know, like, we're at a computer over, oh, no, wait a minute, computer, get over here, you know. Wait, that's an old typewriter. You know, no. And the same way you can't look back, just like when he was running away from Babylon and he said, don't look back. From Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah. Yeah, Sodom and Gomorrah. And that lady looked back, she came a pillar of salt. Look back. You know. Well, she was a pillar of the community. You know. If you think about it, you know, I just became a new creation in Christ. I, I, I'm now no longer bar Adam. I'm no longer under that curse. I'm no under longer the, the curse of sin. A saint don't no longer have the the the, the, the car blasted run rough shot over me. You know, the only way he can do something in my life is because God let him do it. The only reason those guys could accuse me because God was letting him do it. Because God was moving things around over here. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? There, there's stuff that's going to come in your life that ain't no fun. You will go through the fire. You will go through the flood. You know, that 24 dive, You sometimes you're going to have to plow through that, you know, four hole. Mm -hmm. You know, but you better know that as you're plowing through, you know, you got big old guards on either side of you. that You know, they're going to help blow that hole open. You just cover that bowl and put your head down and plow in there. You know, and you make that three yards, you know, see what I'm saying? You ever seen in a football game where they, that little, little halfback's always short, you know? And they got this short little guy, boy, he's just running, and the big linemen, the linebackers are hitting him, and he's just fighting, fighting, and all of a sudden, two big old linemen just come up and grab the whole pile. <laughs> and they, you know, <laughs> you know, sometimes maybe the, day, the yeah, angels are like that. They're like, oh, that little boy, he's just fighting him, devil, he's fighting his way, and then they just, oh, let's just go shove the pile. You know? <laughs> And then a little halfback jumps up, ah, like you made a touchdown, ah, you know, and he don't realize there's a two big linemen that shoved him across, you know, <laughs> you know, so, you know, I think you can follow that whole new creation in Christ, you know, bar Adam versus Benai Elohim, I'm a direct creation of God, I now have a relationship and I'm an adopted son. As that new creation, that direct creation of God, I now have legal right to boldly walk into the throne room of the sovereign of the universe, my legal right of adoption. Say, sir, sovereign king, thank you so much that you were willing of your own free will to enter into that covenant with me. But I have a brother over here that's got a need. I got a sister over here that's got a need, you know, and I'd like to present them to you and ask you to begin to move, you know, in their life. 
And then they come back to you like, man, I don't know what, you know, but man, I ran into some stuff. Boy, I'm telling you, strife came in my world. <laughs> oh, you don't tell them you were praying for them at that point. <laughs> but God begins to move things, you know what I'm saying? There's things that need to be shaken off. We we get all crusty and, and locked into what we think is, is the way life has to be. And mm-hmm. it just has to set things shaken a bit to pull us out of it. It's kind of like through, you know, where you said he always knew there was a creator. God made you to be a Native American. He made yeah. you to be an Athabascan Indian. God, you, you didn't make yourself. You didn't get to pick. No. But God created you that way for a reason and a purpose. See, that? For the, for the, so I love the part that you still uh, fully accept who you are as a Native person. You haven't changed any of that. You see, you, you still dance, you know, beautifully when you do the powwow dancing. You still, you know, uh, there's just so much, you know, native expression in your earrings and, and who you are as a person, even the quietness and the way that you talk, you know. Uh, that's a very admirable and respectful uh, quality, uh, I think, especially among, among uh, I don't know, of other tribes, but I know of like uh, the, the Denaina or Denaina people. Uh, they would always, I found like talking to old folk, they'll talk for a little bit and then they stop and pause. Mm-hmm. And, and for a while, I'd be like, you know, it would take forever to get through this conversation. <laughs> but I realized what was happening was it was an expression of wisdom showing that they're thinking before they speak. Mm-hmm. So someone perceived it as slowness or ignorance, but in reality, culturally, it was an expression yeah. of wisdom. Absolutely. You know, and I see that in you all the time in how you handle yourself. So there's there's beauty of that that God allowed to come up as you were growing up. And then at the right time, he said, all right now, son. I'm going to introduce my son to you. I'm going to introduce myself to you. And oh, Eric, I'm going to make you a new creation. Oh, you still be a Native American. You still be Indian, but I'm going to make you a new kind of Indian. You know what I'm saying? I'm making something the world ain't never seen. You know? Thank you, Lord. I I think God all the time, as you know, because I didn't understand. I mean, when I first started following Jesus, I didn't know you were supposed to, you know, cut your hair and, and you know, stop riding Harleys and quit wearing a leather jacket and do everything you do to cover your tattoos, you know, and, you know, I just, you know, he came looking for me, came talking to me in that apartment, you know, there were Harleys and all that in that apartment, you know, and I just, I, I thank God all the time. So God, thank you. Thank you. That you still, you still let me be who you created me to be. Yeah. I still get to ride a Harley. That's, you know, uh, yeah, that's right where we are. Yeah, in a time when when people are trying to separate everything, okay, brown people belong to this group, and, and then if you're black, you you belong to this group, and then if you're this, you have to be in this group, and we're going to separate them all so that we can treat them all differently, so that everybody can get along. But there there's two aspects to it, and God, the first aspect is we're all just people. We're, we're all on the same level on that part. We're all on the same level before God and between each other so that we, we have to treat each other as ourselves. So there is no difference between us. But then on the other level, he celebrates the culture. He celebrates the differences and he loves these, mm-hmm. these different expressions to him. And when we try to homogenize everything, then we're trying to push everyone to conform to these rules that don't serve to let the heart express to God. They serve to push everybody Mm -hmm. into this religious service, this surface area service. So 
I think that God really delights in the the abundance of expression that He encounters among the people, so that He's He's valuing every different culture. And then we we have those two aspects of it that we treat everyone as a fellow human being, but we also can celebrate the the ways that we can worship God in our own mm-hmm. out of our own heart. There's a passage I just saw that in Acts says, God made all mankind out of one blood. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, and the thing about this now, okay, I heard a guy talking on this today, and I don't remember exactly how it goes on, okay, but you go back in the, in the Tower of Babel, and it said that everybody spoke one language. All right, and they, and they, um, they said, let us build this tower and get to God. Okay, and then God goes, man, I got to go down and scatter them all out. Because while they were in unity, it says in there, and I can't get it exactly right, it was said that, that, that nothing will stop them. Mm-hmm. Nothing will be held back from them. They can accomplish whatever they shot as long as they're in unity. Mm-hmm. All right? So what happens if you and I as brothers in Christ, even though we're different, but as we come together in unity, what can we accomplish in Christ? Mm -hmm. What can Christ accomplish through us? Mm -hmm. Because we've come together in unity, no matter how different, which takes us back to our very first video. Hey man, we can disagree and still be brothers in Christ. Mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? Well, the first video earlier today, not the <laughs> yeah. first one way back, but you know. <laughs> yeah, we have to be ready to to accept that there's going to be differences in idea, differences in opinion, differences in the, in the expression toward God. But that the only thing that really matters is is our individual love toward God. And as you begin to meet other people in different, different founts, different rivers of, of God's spirit flowing, and you see the differences and you kind of might look at it a little odd or I'm not quite sure about this, but when you see the fruit coming out, you start to realize, okay, I can accept these differences because I'm seeing that, that this person loves God and that that's what they're holding true to. I like what you said a second ago, the way you said it was like uh, that all these differences, the, the diversity of it that God likes, but what he was as the individual heart expression. Mm-hmm. That heart expression, that's what he's after. Yeah. And and I think you're right, he enjoys the beauty of the differences. Yeah. But he's looking for that heart expression. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Like Nayla's dad, um, I went down there and met him and I had heard him preach before, so I knew that that he had a word that I respected. And he had a discipleship, but there were only a couple of disciples at that time, but they were basically they would they would make the food, they would serve the coffee and he was he wasn't always like the nice uh American pastor who's very speaks very softly to everyone <laughs> and, and puts his hand on their head. He he was sometimes kind of rough with them. And you you see that and you start to to wonder, you know, what what is going on. But first of all I knew that he had a, a word from God and then I could see that in his life he was determined to be to be fair with me and to that he was working to act. He had just left his church in Manaus. He had two churches there. He was well set up and he he felt like God was telling him to move to different areas. So he put a pastor in place and he left. It's like, well, somebody who can, who can build up two churches 
and then take off and leave them with somebody else when, when God tells them to go. That's already, you know, he had a big house. Everybody thought he was really rich because they, he had all of his disciples living with him in the house, so each one was working, and it wasn't hard to pay the rent. So they were living in a nice big house with a group of people, and God had been moving there, and it had been a wonderful time. And God told him to move and left it all behind. It's like, okay, there's another sign of integrity there. Mm-hmm. And then I start to learn where he came out of, of the Argentine revival, and then the movement where people would sell off their houses and, and go and, and be a disciple of the pastor. Well, it turned into something in some places a, a little bit dark, more like indentured servitude. And the stories that he tells, he, he still respected his pastor the whole time. And when they held the meetings down in Argentina, he would go back there and speak at their conferences. But what he went through was, was some very difficult times. And what he made was something as much different from what he came out of as, as your children from your childhood. So when, when, you, when you judge it as what it is right now, okay, well, I don't like this and I don't like that and I think that, but what he came out of to what is there is an amazing step and shows somebody who's been letting God work in their heart. And whatever imperfections might be there, aren't really mine to judge when that's his walk with God. And I see that he's, he's seeking God for each step. So it's easy for me to come in and judge his personality or judge the way that he leads. When in reality, that's why it's God who approves the heart. He's like, I like what has happened with this heart. That's, and this is something beautiful to me. Like, okay. <laughs> and I see where I'm taking him. Yeah, you know, 